Good morning. Thank you, Lindsay. It is great to be here this morning. And um, yes, Pastor Dustin uh, texted me this morning and said he is missing you and he's praying for us today. He is not suffering today, though. He is, uh, they are in a beautiful spot on the big island. And uh, so I'm happy for them, happy they get to be away, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, if, if I've not met you, uh, again, as Lindsay said, my name is Chris, and I'm, I'm just really happy to be able to be with you this morning. I, um, I appreciated the worship this morning, and I, I, was, uh, I was sitting there, and I was thinking, actually, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in the back row there, where my normal, my normal spot in the back row, and um, I looked up here, and um, I was really happy to see all these culture shapers in the front few rows. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled about that, and I, I'm so grateful for that. I just want to read this passage of Scripture that, uh, it's not in my notes, Donald, so don't panic, um, but, um, but it is pertinent to what we're talking about today, uh, and it comes out of the same text, uh, or at least the same uh, series of books here we'll be talking about today, but it's out of 1 Timothy 4.12, and it might be one that um, you might be familiar with, but young people here in the first couple rows or, or wherever you are in the room, if you consider yourself a young person, raise your hand. That's what, I, that's what I'm talking about. Even Paul, I appreciated that. I appreciated that hand back there. First um, Timothy 4.12 says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I'm grateful that you're setting an example today and uh, that you can do that. And, and, and you don't have to ever let anybody look down on you because you're young. You are the shape, the culture shapers um, that um, will take us uh, into the future. So I'm grateful that you're here this morning. I'm grateful that you're all here. All of you who's, who are young and old, I'm grateful that you're all here this morning. I had the incredible privilege um, at the beginning of this month to go to the land of my ancestry. I've never been to Europe in my life. All my kids had been there, but I had never been there. Um, and so I got to go to Switzerland at the beginning of this month, and it was unbelievable. Anybody ever been to Switzerland in the room? It, it's just it's just unbelievable. It's just beautiful, and um, it's it's the place where my ancestry is from on my dad's side. So all of his family comes from Switzerland. And I just had this sort of drive and desire to want to go go there. I wanted to be there. I wanted to see it. And I, I uh, it's the land of my heritage. And it was really amazing as I was there because I, I'm a person who loves the mountains. I love going up into the hills. I love alpine meadows. I love lakes and streams. It's just, I've always loved that. And so when I went there, and I'm in that place, I felt like, wow, this, this just feels like where I belong. Uh, now, I'm not moving there because it's way too expensive, but it, it's just beautiful, and it just felt like home to me. And then I got to go to the, uh, to the city from which my ancestry came from for generation after generation, this little town called Einsiedeln in, uh, in eastern Switzerland. And I got to go there, and I found out there's a bunch of Hanslers that live that live there, which was really cool, and um, and you know there there's a there's an abbey there that was built in the 800s. I mean, there's just roots and there's just history there, 
and it was beautiful. And I would, I would look at people, and I, I would watch the, just the way they look and just sort of the way they carried themselves. And I thought, man, that, that person just reminds me so much of my grandfather. It was crazy because there's something about our roots. There's something that, that gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. We might not even be aware that some of the things that, that we do, some of the things that we like, some of the ways that we are have been carried down from generation to generation and passed down to us. Now, sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not so good, right? But, but we, we carry some of those traits. We carry some of those values. We carry some of those things. We might not even know where they come from. But, but we have those roots, and they've been entrusted to us from, from one generation to another generation to another generation and, and, and passed down. And I'm, I'm very grateful because I really treasure my heritage. And I, I know that's a blessing, and I know that's a privilege, but I really treasure my heritage. Uh, the Scripture tells us that uh, we have been tr- entrusted with a treasure as well. And, of course, the treasure that we have been entrusted with is the is the treasure of Christ, the grace of God. And I'm, I'm going to just light this candle this morning simply for us just as a reminder of the presence of Christ with us. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And, and we have been entrusted with this precious, beautiful gift of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And he is, he is with us all the time. And this, this treasure that has been entrusted to us, the grace of God, the gift of Jesus, has been passed to us, has been entrusted to us to be entrusted to others. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses one, uh, verse 1, uh, Paul is talking to Tim. Well, before I go any further, I, I just want to pray and then, and then we'll, we'll get into the the message. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us. Lord, that you you believe that, God, we can carry this beautiful message of your gospel, the good news of Jesus, the grace of God in our own lives, but to the lives of others. Lord, that we can be culture shapers because of the light of Christ that is with us and the light of Christ that is in us. And I pray, God, that today we would be reminded of the treasure that is Jesus in our lives. Entrusted this gift you've entrusted to us. And Lord, I pray it would take root once again and that, and that Lord, it would motivate us to live our lives in such a way that represents you, that is honoring to you, Lord, speak, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit today. Lord, teach us something today that draws us closer to you. Help us have ears to hear you. And Lord, set me aside. Lord, we need to hear from you, not me. We need to hear from your Spirit. So set me aside that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul who's talking to this, his, his disciple, his son in the faith, Timothy. We first meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16. Uh, and Timothy, Paul discovers Timothy as a believer that, 
that uh, his mother was a Jew who had become a believer in Christ. His father was not a believer. His father was a Greek. But Paul took Timothy under his wing, and Timothy, he began to mentor Timothy, and Timothy traveled with Paul. Uh, Paul taught him, and he calls Timothy his son in the faith. And over and over again, so, so now we find the Apostle Paul here at the, toward the end of his life. He'd been under persecution. He'd been imprisoned. He knew his life was going to be coming to an end very soon. So he's giving this final charge to his son in the faith, this young man that he loved, he believed in, that he knew very well. And he's giving this charge to young Timothy. And uh, over and over again, when you listen to how Paul talks to Timothy, he says, he says over and over to him, Timothy, be strong. Timothy, be strong. There, because, because what we begin to understand about Timothy is that there probably was in Timothy some timidity, some reticence to put himself out there. It's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 to him, don't ever let anybody look down on your youthfulness. Um, it, and, and, and it's why Paul says over and over to Timothy, be strong, t- uh, Timothy. It's okay. Uh, fan into Fan into flame the gift of God that was in you by the laying out of hands. And he, and he keeps saying that to things like that to Timothy in this last charge. And what he says is, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God has given us his grace through his son. He, he, he sent his son. And when, when Jesus came, of course, Jesus, when he lived life on this earth, he demonstrated to us by the life that he lived what it meant to, to live a life uh, that God desired us to live, a, a life that was representative of, this, of the kingdom of God. Uh, God in human form, Jesus, lived this life and demonstrated to us what it, what it means to live in God's kingdom as, as an agent of God's kingdom. And then, of course, uh, he, uh, Jesus took on our sin. The scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we would become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus takes all of our sin on because that sin is what separates us from the Father, from the relationship and from the the intention that God had for us when he created us. That sin separates us. So Jesus takes on our sin when he goes to the cross. He dies on that cross, and then he rises again three days later to conquer sin, to conquer death, so we can live a resurrected life, so we can live in the life of Jesus Christ. Christ that God intended for us to live. God gave us his grace through Jesus. What is grace? What is, what is the grace of God? The grace of God simply is the unearned favor of God. That, that when God looks at us through the lens of Jesus, he sees us with favor. He, when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our our struggle, when he looks at us through the lens of Christ, he sees us as good. That when, he, that when he looks at you, Pastor Jeff, through the lens of Christ, he sees you as good, right? That Bruce, when he looks at you through the lens of Christ, he sees you as good. Jeff, when he looks at you through the lens of Christ, he doesn't see anything except that the good intention that he created you to be. That is the grace of God. It is the unmerited favor of God. It is God looking past our sin, past our weakness, and into our God-given design. And he looks at us through the lens of Christ. He sees us as good. And God's grace is a treasure unlike any other treasure we could possibly have. And we need to get back to realizing the value of what has been given to us. 
What's ever with us, what's ever before us, this treasure that God has given us in Jesus. But what happens to us? We get comfortable. We get busy. We get distracted. We start thinking maybe we don't need God. Now, we don't say that. We maybe don't even believe that. But the way we live, practically, it looks like we live as though we don't need God. We, start, we stop spending time with Him in prayer. We stop talking to Him. We just have gotten comfortable. We're just kind of in our routine, and, and we don't spend time in prayer and talking to Jesus. We, we stop spending time in His Word and getting to know Him. We stop telling people about what He has done in our life, and we live as though, even though we say, you know, God is my, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. We, we say that, but we live in such a way as though we don't need Him because we're just, we're just we get really comfortable. Mark Sayers in his book called um, an, uh, A Non-Anxious Presence, he says it this way. He says, the stronghold of the contemporary world can turn even the religious into practical atheists. Can turn even the religious into practical atheists. What he means by that is they live in such a way as though they don't believe that God exists. He goes on to say how? By furnishing the possibility of operating on a kind of a secular autopilot, we can move through our lives without thought or need for God. Since the modern world will deliver all of our needs. Now, he says the stronghold of the contemporary world can turn the religious into practical atheists. Let me talk for a minute about that term stronghold. What does he mean when he says the stronghold of the contemporary world? In the ancient world, the, the nomads would travel. They'd be traveling through, um, you know, the, the, uh, from place to place. And what would happen eventually is, is they would gather together uh, the, 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 in tribes. These tribes would gather together and they would group together and they would settle into a particular area and they would, they would cultivate that area um, with... with uh, with, uh, you know, uh, agriculture so that they could begin to supply themselves with what they needed in that particular area. Then they would have, they would create educational systems and then they would create commerce and, and, and then eventually, you know, as their numbers grew, their safety in numbers, pretty soon it would become a city. So then that becomes a city and then they build up a, a, a protective force, an army or a military that begins to protect that city. Sometimes then those cities would band together city with city and that would become nations and then nations would become kingdoms. And then within that, there would be these strongholds. There would be these fortified areas with big walls that would protect the city from outside influences, from, un, from outside invaders and their trust would be in that stronghold. When I was in Switzerland, I went to this town called uh, Morton, and Morton was a, was a town that all around this city, there was this wall, there was this fortified wall, it was one of these strongholds, we walked the top of this wall, it was really cool, and uh, you could tell that they, they had built this wall to protect them from the invading forces, and that wall was built in the 1200s, it was, it was amazing, but it was a stronghold to protect them from the outside Forces and their trust. What, what they would do in these with these fort, uh, fortified strongholds is they put their trust in that stronghold because it provided for them boundaries, provided for them security, provided for them protection over the resources that they had cultivated, protected them, protected the relationships and the people they loved were behind the walls of that stronghold and it kept them safe. And strongholds are a biblical metaphor. The Bible talks about 
strongholds. It's a place of safety. It's a place of security. It's a place of prosperity in the midst of a threatening or an unpredictable environment. When you get outside of the strongholds, you're, you're subject to the elements. You're subject to the weather. You're subject to the wild animals. You're subject to bandits or whatever it is. And so they would, they would rest and reside in these strongholds because it was safe there. And when people would travel from one stronghold to another, it would, it would make them vulnerable and it would cause them to be anxious because they don't have their safety of protection around them. It was a place of uncertainty. And we love certainty. We love clear boundaries. We love comfort. We love our safety. Of course we do. We love to have protection over our resources. Of course we do. But I think we're in a time in our society, we're in a time in our culture where there's all kinds of anxiety because there's so much uncertainty around us. That, that down through history, there has been era after era. And, and what happens is when you have an era, an era is defined by clear boundaries, by clear understanding, by we know who's in power, we know kind of how the rules of operation, we know clear definitions of what it is. Even if we don't like it, at least there's clarity about it. There's, and, and so it goes from era to era. And when one era is shifting into a new era, there's just uncertainty because what we've known is this is kind of how the world operates. These are kind of the boundaries. These are the definitions. This is the clarity. This is the certainty. And then when something happens in our world and it shifts into kind of a, moving into a new era, that period in between is this uncertainty. All of a sudden, the things that were very clear in the way the world operated, the things that were very clear in, in how things were defined and how families, you know, functioned and, and how, uh, who was in charge, who was in power, all of a sudden, those are no longer as clear anymore and we're moving into something new and this in-between area makes us a little unstable. It makes us uncertain. It makes us uncomfortable. And I think we are in this place of an anxious time and lots of uncertainty in our world. When I talk to people, there's just all kinds of anxiety about what's going to happen and what's going on. And, and I, you know, I, I don't understand why, why this. And, and, and I see people longing for a time in the past of how it was. I wish it was like this, like it used to be, even though we tend to romanticize how it used to be. Right? But we long for it because there was certainty, there was clarity. But when we start moving into this new, whatever this is going to be, it makes us uncomfortable. We get anxious. It's interesting in our, in our, tech, in our, in our, in our technology-driven age, it's fascinating how we have access to everywhere all of the time. But we, 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 don't re, we aren't really present. So we're everywhere and nowhere at the same time because we have so much data. We, we, we have all this information at our fingertips, literally at our fingertips. But, but even though we have all of this information, we aren't sure, is it true? Is it real? Do we, should I believe it? Can I believe it? There's all this anxiety about this uncertainty that, of the times that we live in. And it might be even true in your own life, in our own lives. We trust that there maybe was a time in your own personal life where you could trust in your job. Or you could trust in the, in the economy, or you felt like you could. Or you could trust in your health, 
or you could, or you could put your trust in this relationship, whatever that relationship was, but something has happened and something has changed in your job or something has created uncertainty in that relationship or something has created uncertainty in your finances and it, well, you, you don't have as much trust in that as you did anymore or something has shattered that and so now you find yourself in this in-between place of what was and what you, what you knew at least and maybe you loved and, and to this place where you're not sure where this is headed now. I, I find myself in this place of this wilderness and that's what the scripture tends to talk about it. This place of in-between is a place that the scripture talks about as a wilderness. We find ourselves in these wilderness places in between the strongholds, kind of exposed and out there, vulnerable. We don't know what to do in those anxious times. You might remember the story of God's people in Israel. If, you, if you've been in church or if you've read the Bible, if you haven't, there's a story in, in the scripture of God's people and, and they were all in Egypt. They were in captivity in Egypt and they were slaves in Egypt. But they were there. That's where they got their food. They knew who was in power. They knew where they were sleeping and where they were staying. Even though they were slaves, they knew. And God called them out of Egypt. And he said, I want you to come out, I want you to come out of Egypt and you're going to move into the promised land. It's a land that he called a land flowing with milk and honey. But the, but the travel between Egypt, where there were slaves, and the place where they were going was what? It was the wilderness. And the wilderness was this place of uncertainty. It was this place of testing. It was this place where they were exposed and they were vulnerable. And they, they, they weren't sure, you know, they knew they were headed to something great. They were headed to something new, but they weren't there yet. They were in the place of the in-between. And so what did they want to do when they got uncomfortable, when they got anxious? They wanted to go back to Egypt. Back to the place where they were actually enslaved. But at least there was certainty there. At least there was clarity there. At least there was boundaries. At least there was protection there. And they wanted to go back to that place because these in-between places of the wilderness create anxiety in us, in our lives. And when we're anxious and when we're fearful, when we're uncertain, we seek out strongholds. We want a stronghold. We want something to protect us. We want something that will keep us safe, something that will feel secure. And if we can't find a stronghold, we will build a stronghold. That's what we do. Something we can run to, a place to escape, a place that will give us security. And sometimes that stronghold in hist historically has been physical, but sometimes the stronghold for us can be something like wealth. I, I, if I could just put my security into this future of my 401c3, that's my stronghold. I, I just, I get through. Or we put it in power. We put it in position. We put it in our own ability. I, I'm just going to power through. And that's our stronghold. We put it in a relationship. And we put all of our, we put all of our security and all of our identity and all of all of our, our, our hope, and we put it on this person or on this group of people, and, and that becomes our stronghold. Relationships are good. But sometimes when we put too much weight of responsibility on them to provide us security and to provide us our identity, we've made that a stronghold that will not hold. Sometimes we even put it in things like addiction. Now, an addiction might not be a very safe place, but at least it's a place to escape from the reality. 
In Psalm 52, 7, there's a passage where the psalmist says this, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold. See, the scripture talks about strongholds as a metaphor, and it says over and over again, God wants to be our stronghold, that, that we should be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It says, it says, here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. This person's stronghold that the psalmist is talking about is his, is his finances and is his power. It goes on to say, but I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love for what you have done. I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name for your name is good. That when we put our trust in God, there is hope there. There is strength there. There is peace there. There is his presence there. That is where God wants us to put our trust. That is where our faith belongs, that we can trust in him. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is where your identity comes from. This is where you remember who I created you to be. This is where you remember who you are, who you are intended to be. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Christ is our firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around is shaken. It's Christ who is our firm foundation. No other stronghold that we could possibly ever run to will center our life like the grace of God. There is none other. We've got to get back to Christ being the center, being our stronghold, being the one, the, the one in whom we place our trust and our identity and our hope. Where are you putting your trust? I don't mean where do you believe it should be. Because I, I, I know what I will say. Here's where I believe my trust should be. But when I live it out practically, what does my life say about where I am putting my trust? Is my trust, am I strong in the grace of Jesus Christ? Is my, is my, is my faith, is my trust truly believing that God is my protection? God is my identity. God is my boundary. Where are you putting your trust? You know the reason that we have this gift of God's grace? You know the reason that we have this treasure of the gift of God's grace that has been given to us? The reason we have it today is, of course, God has given it, but it's because others, we know the grace of God because others have entrusted it to us. There are people who have gone before us who, who, who received the gift of God's grace and they carried that in their hands and then they entrusted it to others who then entrusted it to us and that the reason you and I may know Jesus and the reason you and I may be here today is because others carried, who were entrusted with the gift of God's grace, were entrusted with that, they passed it on to others and because of that, we're here today. 2 Timothy 2.15 um, Paul is talking to Timothy again, and he's, or 2, 1, and 5, and he says, I am remen, reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and, I am, uh, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. You, you can see that this, this, this faith that, Paul, that Timothy had was in his grandma, was in his mom, it wasn't in his dad. But then it resided in him. It didn't mean that they just passed it down without him having to do anything. He had to accept it. He had to receive it. He had to appropriate it to his own life. But it was passed down. It was entrusted to him. 
God has given us this gift of God's grace, Jesus. But others have shared it with us. This week I was reminded that Celebration Center, which this is called Celebration Church. Originally it was called Celebration Center. 30 years ago, on September 19th, 1993, was the first ever gathering of what would become Celebration Church. 25 adults and 17 kids met in a Clover Creek Elementary School in metal folding chairs. There was an overhead projector. Remember the overhead projectors? You had the little slides that... It was an overhead projector. I did that because that's what they look like. Um, overhead projector, uh, a guitar, and some folding chairs, and a handful of families. And they met for the first time, and eventually that would become celebrated. We met in Clover Creek Elementary School for four or five years. And then we, then we moved from there, and we, we met at Rogers High School for nine years. We skipped middle school. We went from elementary school <laughs> to high school. We met, in, we met at Rogers High School for nine years, set up, tore down every Sunday for nine years. People gathered, family of God gathered, invested, invested, invested. What they were entrusted with, they carried it on, one person to another. Some of you were, have been here that whole time. You're still here. This, this gift of God's love entrusted to you, and you continue to carry it on and, until they invested, invested, bought this property Built this building in 2007, 2008. I remember people, some of you in this room were there, Roger. You were there, Roger, Michelle. Picked up the walls of this church and stood them up. This building. Because you were entrusted with this gift. And you carried it gently and delicately and as good stewards so that it could be passed on from generation to generation. Do you know that in the foundation underneath this carpet, underneath this floor, are scriptures that have been written? Promises that have been written. In the walls, in the studs, behind this sheetrock here are promises and scriptures that were written for blessing of this church. And the reason that we're here today is because people who are entrusted with that gift have now entrusted it with us. And our response to that should be gratitude. God, thank you for entrusting others with this gift of your grace and now that you have entrusted it to us and God, we want to be good stewards of what you have entrusted to us. We need to guard what has been entrusted to us. 2 Timothy 1.14 says this, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This gift of God's grace, this gift of Christ that he has given to us, that has, he's, he's given us and he's, he's saved our lives. He says, guard that. It's been entrusted to you, guard it, and the Holy Spirit will help you guard it. When he talks about garden, he's not guarding it, he's not talking about hiding it. It's, it's meant to be used. Something we treasure should be on display. Guarded does not mean hidden. It has the, the word there has this sense of cultivation, this sense of it's being tended to, it's being cared for, it's being protected for optimal use. In other words, guard this gift you've been given and, and cultivate it and protect it so that it can be utilized so that other people can share it as well. I have in my backyard some various, I have a couple of apple trees, but I also have some, some Pinot grapevines. I had these two Pinot grapevines that I had in my house in Graham, and when we moved to Bonnie Lake, I took these two young Pinot grapevines and I planted them in my house in Bonnie Lake, and I built an, uh, an arbor 
a sort of an archway, and, and these grapevines grow up and over this, this arbor. And last year, for the first time, they grew up all the way over it, and grapes began to develop, and, and I was really excited. These pinot grapes started, started to emerge. I was very, very excited about having these grapes. And uh, as, as they began to develop, I noticed disease started getting into the grapes. They started splitting, and then birds, birds, those devil birds, started coming and, attack, and attacking and eating all of my grapes. And I lost all my grapes last year. I was, I was really sad about that. So this year, as the grapevines began to grow again, and as the grapes began to emerge again, I started cultivating. I started caring for it. I started protecting it protecting them against insects and infestation and disease, I, and, I, and I cared for them. And then as they began to show the grapes on the, on the clusters, I put bird netting over, these, over the grapevines. Now, here's the deal. I feed my birds, so the things that I feed are actually attacking the things I'm trying to cultivate. There's a whole other sermon in that, but, but, I, but I have to put up a protective netting to protect. And now my, my grapes are coming ripe and they're, and they're growing and the birds aren't getting to all of them. And I'm so excited about it. But what, what's happening there is I'm guarding it. You have to guard it. You have to protect it. Not so that it can be hidden away so nobody could, could ever use it or have access to it. It's guarded in such a way that you're cultivating it in such a way so it actually could be used for the purpose with which it was created, for which it was created. We need to treat this gift that God has given us as the treasure that it is. Paul tells Timothy, listen, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that was placed in you. Fan it into flame. If, if, if that spark of the life of Christ in you is dulled to just barely a, a barely lit ember, God's saying fan that into flame. Guard it. Cultivate it. Let it become a fire. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Fan that thing into flame. Represent Christ. Keep learning. Stay in God's word. Get to know Jesus. Listen, we didn't earn this. We don't own it. But you have gifts in your life that you can contribute to the world. And the world needs, needs those gifts that you carry. You've been entrusted with the gift of God's grace. And, and there are people all around you in an anxious society who desperately need people who can tell them where the hope is. And we've been entrusted with that gift. And our responsibility is to carry it to others. Enemies will try to destroy it. The enemy will try to destroy or distort it. He'll do it through false teaching. Try to take you, distract you from the centrality of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important to stay in the word of God. To stay faithful to true biblical teaching. He'll try to destroy, destroy it by doubt. He'll try to make you think, well, you don't need God. He'll try to make do it through shame. You don't deserve God. Yes, God says he sees you through the lens of Christ, through the grace of God. And he says, yes, I want you in relationship with me. He'll do it through inadequacy and insecurity. You don't measure up. Yes, you do. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. He'll do it. He'll try to destroy and distort it through selfishness and lust and try to get you distracted and think, well, there's maybe something better over here. There is no better treasure than the grace of the gift of Jesus Christ. That is our stronghold. Guard what has been entrusted to you and entrust that gift to others. Timothy, uh, Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He says, And the things you have heard me say, 
I think it's coming. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There's that word entrust again. We see this word entrust over and over in Timothy. He says, listen, the things you've heard me say, the gospel, the good news of Jesus that I've shared with you, I want you to entrust to other people who will be able to entrust it to others as well. I want you to see the, the generational sharing that's going on here. Paul is sharing with his Timothy, saying, listen, the things I've told you, now I want you to take that which I've entrusted to you, and now I want you to share it with somebody else. And then when they get it, they carry that, and then they entrust it to somebody else. There's this generational process that, that we need to pass this down, that with this gift that's been entrusted to us, we need to continue to pass it down. It doesn't belong to us, and it shouldn't end with us. Timothy had Paul who entrusted it to him. And then Timothy was supposed to entrust this gift of God's grace to others. Timothy had a Paul. Paul had a Timothy. I think everybody, every follower of Christ needs a Paul and every follower of Christ needs a Timothy. I think every one of us needs somebody who's pouring into our life, who we're learning from, who we're growing from. And I think every one of us needs a Timothy that we are investing our life into. Who is it that you're investing in? Who is it that you are pouring this gift of God's grace? Who is it you're, 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 you're helping them to, to live out their faith uh, as well? If you use your gifts and skills for Christ, if you're in some sort of ministry, if you hold some sort of ministry in the church or, or you, you have a gift that you're using for the sake of Christ, if you were to be gone tomorrow, which is what Paul understood, Paul understood that he wasn't going to be there forever. And so he had entrusted this to Timothy and he was training Timothy to take up where he would leave off. If you were going to be gone tomorrow, if you were suddenly gone, have you prepared somebody to carry what you do into the future? I think everybody who's serving in any kind of ministry in the church, you need somebody you're investing in and you're helping them to discover their gifts. You're helping them to discover who Jesus is for themselves so that they can continue to, to carry that gift on into the future. God wants us to have a multi-generational impact. Bring somebody along. I'm going to call the worship team up. I want to just close with this story. Um, there was an Indonesian island called Krakatoa. Krakatoa, um, in 1883, experienced this horrific volcano, a horrific volcanic eruption. And in this little island of Krakatoa, when this, when this volcano erupted, when there was this eruption, it devastated this island. This island was lush, green, flourishing with vegetation, plant life, and people, and animal life. But when this, when this volcano erupted... It devastated the island. Two of the mountains that were on the island were, 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 were set flat. It was one of the most devastating eruptions in history. Two of the mountains on the island were, 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 were brought completely down. Some of the island sunk into the sea and other parts of the island rose up. 36,000 people were killed in this explosion. Three quarters of the island were killed and devastated in this explosion. When it happened, there was such environmental impact uh, around that the skies, it looked like as, as though they were, they were red and raining down red rock all around. And um, people from far distances thought, particularly religious people of the day, thought it was the end of the world because of the, sky, the way the skies looked for days and weeks afterwards. About seven, about seven weeks after 
Krakatoa, the Krakatoa eruption. Some Dutch explorers went to visit the island. And when they went to visit the island, what they discovered was that all life had been destroyed. That it was covered now in rocks and volcanic rocks and volcanic ash. And there was no more plant life. There was no more animal life left on this island. It was complete, complete devastation. It completely transformed this island. About, about uh, sorry, three years later, after that first expedition, another expedition went to the island, and they discovered something fascinating when they went to the island three, day, three years later. That all of a sudden, moss started to grow. Algae started to grow. Grasses started to grow on this island that had no life, that it was devastated. And... Shortly thereafter, vegetation began to grow, and trees began to grow, and greenery began to flourish again, and life began to emerge again on this island. Why did this happen? The reason this happened is because birds and wind had carried seeds back onto this devastated, lifeless island, and those seeds took root, germinated, took root, and began to grow new life again. See, sometimes, and now Krakatoa, again, is a flourishing, green, healthy, vibrant island. That's that same place. Sometimes we feel like, you know, there, there's no hope. It's just lifeless. Things are just devastated. There's just all this kind of disorientation, confusion. What was is no longer. Now it feels lifeless. Now it feels hopeless. There's so many people in our world that feel like, Man, it just feels like this is going nowhere fast and there's no hope. But what brings life into those kind of devastating situations is just a simple seed. If we would carry the seed of the gospel of Christ, if we would carry the life of Christ and implant that into those places that have been devastated, those places that have been broken, those places that feel lifeless, the power, the, the, the places of wilderness, the places of the in-between, the places of devastation are also places of potential where God can do some of his greatest work. It's, it's, it's potential where God can begin to bring renewal where there has been lifelessness. And our world desperately needs people who will bring the life of Christ into those places of devastation, into those places of brokenness. And as we do, it might take a while, new life will grow, renewal will happen and we will find the life Jesus won for us again. Carry the gospel, this treasure, this gift of God's grace wherever you go. Let's stand together. Let me ask these questions. Have you picked up the gift of God's grace entrusted to you? God has entrusted this treasure. Have you, have you, have you said yes to him? He said, God, I, I need you in my life. I put my, I've been putting my, my, my hope in other strongholds, and those strongholds do not hold up. And you find yourself in these anxious places. Listen, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Are you cultivating the gift? Are you guarding that gift that God has given you? Are you spending time with him? Are you spending time in his word? Are you spending time talking to him? Are you getting to know him? Are you cultivating that gift? Guard the gift that has been entrusted to you. And then who will you entrust that gift to? Who will you share that gift with? What has been entrusted to you, God says, listen, entrust it to others. Entrust that to others. Carry life into lifeless places. Carry hope into places of anxiety. 
That's our responsibility. It has been entrusted to us. Let's entrust it to others. Father, thank you for the treasure that is Jesus in our life. If nothing else today, I pray we would be reminded of what a treasure you are. That that we would make you our stronghold. That we would be strong in the grace of Christ. Lord, where people in this room maybe have put their trust in other things and put their hope in other things and they find themselves in an anxious spot because that hope didn't hold, that stronghold didn't hold up. Lord, I pray that we would put our trust in you again. We would surrender our life to you again. We would yield ourselves to you again. And Lord, whatever gift, this gift that has been entrusted to us, Lord, I pray you'd show us even now. Lord, who is it you want us to invest in? Who is it you want us to give it to? Uh, how is it you want us to pass it along to others? So that, Lord, generations from now, people will still be carrying the light of Christ because it was entrusted to us and we entrusted it to others. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.